Admittedly, when we do episodes bi-weekly, there's always headlines that just happen to not regularly be talked about. And we just never are able to talk about them in the course of our regular shows. So here we are again, James and myself, doing what our another Space Heater chat for the third month in a row. So I guess, James, do you want to make this a habit, a monthly thing, as much as possible? Or at yeah, least... no, if there's something extra we have on the mind or something like that. Or sometimes we have things that we want to bring up and then more comes to light later on that would enlighten the discussion. I think one of them we are going to talk about at the being tonight. We said, oh, we'll do an update on what we did the last Space Heater, but more came out this week from other sources that made it more intriguing to talk about. Yeah. No, yeah. Not all of it is, not all of it is, pro, is admittedly anime manga related, but as we say here, there's plenty of overlap, I think. Right. Yeah. So James, where do you want to start? What, what, ha- could, what uh, has your start, attention? We had? should start off with Sony again. It seems like we've been talking to, about Sony for forever, it seems like, especially uh, with them intermingling with uh, anime and video games and everything else, right? They're easy whipping boys in that sense. Uh, I mean, regular topics for this show always tend to be centered on one of two things. Sony... And the streaming services, which in the case of Sony is a lot of the same too. (laughs) So, latest development, at least that has our attention Sony-wise, and specifically Sony-wise, that we haven't brought up, is the legacy PlayStation stores that we mentioned about a month or so ago? Correct. They said that they would close up the PSP, PS Vita, and PS3 online stores. That was what was intended. And then there was a change of heart. There was a change of heart in, well, mid to late April. Yeah, and it was just for PS Vita. And PS3, so PSP will still be closed, that store. But Jim Ryan, it was funny, was the one that put it on the PlayStation blog saying that they say now that the incredibly passionate fans uh, love these, so they're going to keep them operational. And uh, that's nice, but I think it's more of a stay of execution for the PS3 store and the PS Vita store at some point. They're going to let them go because this is the same Jim Ryan that said we have the data that says everyone asks for backwards compatibility, but we know no one ever uses it. I'm just for me, it's always a case of I think it's just to preserve what to this point hasn't been remastered. There's I get it. There's a lot in the PS3 library. There's a lot in the PS2 library. And I think my if I'm to make a guess, it's just to make sure this 
like I, I first of all, I'm in agreement with James on the whole idea of that this is a stay of execution. There will be a gone point for said stores, for the Vita store, for the PS3 store. They'll 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 be gone at some point. I'm conv- still convinced of that. It's just more of a matter of making sure all the titles in there have a proper archiving so that none of them would be lost to history. And this is the first generation that we had these digital stores, Wii, PS3, and uh, Xbox 360. So Xbox 360 fully up and operational. Unfortunately for Wii, we know that's already been closed down. So there have been games there that have been lost to time that were only on there on WiiWare. Mm-hmm. So that is sad in its way. Like Konami had some great uh, remasters and redos of some of their older games, like the GBA Castlevania game. There was a Gradius game. There was a Contra game. There was a Blaster Master game made by the original creator that was only there on WiiWare. So those have already been lost if you hadn't bought them and downloaded them and it would be same for uh, PS Vita and PS3 because they have a lot more games even on those ones that were digital only for those platforms and this was the first time where those were really coming out and stuff like that not all of them have transitioned to other digital stores yeah and that's that's my guess that's my guess and that's why there's definitely a fever on that stuff as well and I and with the with the uh, now first of all does does ryan mention anything about the popularity of something like playstation now no i don't see anything i haven't seen anything yet on that it seems like we hear more buzz from xbox on their uh xbox uh, platform for their streaming video games than we do for playstation but playstation feels it's like with playstation now they're playing catch-up in that department but to me let's no go ahead go ahead i was gonna say but let's not forget that microsoft had their comeuppance earlier this year too because they said they were going to uh change how xbox live gold was done and the fans reacted in a fervor as well on that one and the same thing happened they had to backtrack and you rarely do see that especially twice in one year from two different companies (laughs) For me, it's always a case of, as I said, it's just making sure that there's something in posterity, something for posterity more specifically, and to prevent titles from truly being lost. Like there is a thing about archiving for me and maybe for a number of people. But even for, let's not forget, we're talking about digital games, of course, but uh, remember the physical games from decades past have still had the same issue and some have been lost because no one kept those materials and stuff like that. Like even the game devs admitted a lot of things from the eighties and some from the nineties were properly archived because they just thought of them as a product. You know what I mean? And now video gaming is thought of as an art form in a way and thought of like film and books and stuff like that. Yeah, so that isn't that the irony? starting to happen. It isn't and that, that was the... happening in the early aughts. Yeah. Isn't that the irony, though? Those who forget about history are sort of doomed to repeat it. That's the old cliche. Mm-hmm. And we went through that in the 50 years ago when it came to old films and TV shows. We had a habit of 
destroying film and videotapes just to be able to maintain and keep material keep them reusable but then in the process you end up losing a lot of television history or movie history television history especially i mean remember that passage in pure invention that when i heard the line that nbc destroyed the original astro boy film because the original owners couldn't uh, afford to buy them back or pay for shipping or something to that effect. I just facepalmed when I heard that. And then we heard about, remember, Sean Kleckner, because they were the ones that released the old Astro Boy dub and stuff like that, and they had to go to all the affiliates to get the materials to make those DVDs and stuff like that. And even Discotech for some of their releases... They've been on the search for lost dubs and things like that that were on all these different affiliates. And some of them, as you said, might have destroyed those tapes because they didn't see value. It's like, oh, it's just a kid's program or something in there. Yeah, and that's, as I said, that's the sad irony. And and look, I admit I had to recycle my old VHS tapes a few years ago. Maybe there's some regret because there's, maybe somebody could be looking for them, but... I'm thinking there's a lot of other people who did the same and probably would have archived them. If you still have them and you have means to keep them, please do so. It'll, it might come, become important at some point down the road. Even, and this isn't anime related, but I'll give a anecdote again. Johnny Carson, in his final episode uh, hosting The Tonight Show, He acknowledged that the first 10 years of his program, of his hosting The Tonight Show, were lost to history, probably in a similar manner. So, about about 15 years ago, you saw all these videos promoting past Tonight Show episodes with Johnny Carson, and they're only clips, but... They only go so far. So you don't really see any of the black and white episodes. And really, they're not complete episodes. I'm just wondering if those are just random clips or best edited best ofs as a, because by necessity, because they, they weren't complete episodes. Or they had only certain parts of the episodes, right? Like thinking mm-hmm. back to anime and stuff like that, actually, discotheque. Uh, media since we mentioned they're always on the lookout they had a tweet this week in regards to uh, ninja robots because they had mentioned that in their previous uh, streams saying they were looking for english dubbed episodes so for example this week they put up some of the dubbed episodes i think it was like one to 20 which they did have onto amazon prime video because they had them but they said don't think we found them all we're still looking uh for more English dubbed episodes. And they said to people, we're missing episodes 24 to 26, 38 to 42, parts of episode 34. Any copies of 21 to 43 would help, they said. And they're looking in Australia because it aired uh, in the 90s and early aughts on Cartoon Network there. And they also were looking in Southeast Asia, even though people said there that many people probably didn't record on that one. And they were also looking for contacts from Televisa because they would be able to help them. And they've sent cold emails to Televisa and haven't heard a reply. So 
you never know. It's a long thing to try and recover things, especially when certain people see no value, right? So I said, don't make fun of those tape collectors anymore, guys. But hopefully they, they might unlock you. your they might unlock a part of your past that uh, you so badly want to see. Uh, hopefully Discotech is able to pull a rabbit out of the hat like they did for a thousand one nights with that dub or some of the other uh, dubs they've been managed to find. Right. But mm-hmm. it's a I, know, tough process. I, I, know, I know we'll talk a little bit about thousand one nights a bit later on. Well, towards the end, I suppose. Okay. But I was thinking, actually, we were talking about Sony and just now updating, but we've heard a lot from uh, the Apple uh, Epic lawsuit that has started to uh, divulge some of video gaming's inside secrets that I don't think they want because they uh, some of them have been uh, blocking out their information, but some of them they've uh, kind of let leak, and so some people are unhappy, Sony being one of them. But yeah, Sony, yeah, we they... were saying... Uh, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, James. What caught your attention there? What caught your attention? Well, I was the... thinking... Back to what we said, right, about the PlayStation Store for PS3 and Vita, right? How they made a big thing saying, we listen to the fans and stuff like that. But then you read some of these documents that have come out, and you're like, did they really listen to the fans, or was that PR speak? And it's more PR speak, and believe me, it uh, makes you think, yeah, it's a stay of execution. Because the one that came out, was especially about the cross-play on PS4, because remember, they were so adamant against it. And they had the emails from Epic that were released, asking them, saying, it's a big win for both of us, please let's do cross-play. They even said we could do something with PS Plus, maybe a unique character or something like that through Fortnite, and then you guys can announce it, you guys can be the heroes. And Sony basically, in their email back, said, we don't agree. And then when they finally did agree, to a cross-play, they're the only ones that have a cross-play of the big three, unlike Microsoft and Nintendo, that basically says there has to be a cross-platform revenue share so that Sony gets money or a royalty whenever a PlayStation player contributes more than a certain percentage of the bottom line to a cross-platform game. And they're the only ones that have that. Hmm. So it's kind of nuts. So it has... Has it really been worth it? I I have no idea. Like reading it, it's so like in the weeds and stuff like that. I'm not sure how they even came up with their numbers. Like there are other things we saw in there that weren't Sony related. Maybe we'll talk with the guys another day about them. Like they talked about the Epic Store and all those free games they were giving away and how my, Tim Sweeney was all saying it's we're losing all this money but he's like it's an investment in the future it's like this is great and then you saw a six month snapshot of the free games and how many people uh, took advantage of it how much they paid for these exclusivity and all that stuff and how much retention they've had keeping people on this store and the numbers don't quite match up to being an investment it seems like a money sink that they may not get back Mm-hmm. And uh, there were other things uh, as well. But the actually, another funny Sony story that came out too was that there was a lawsuit from some people this week in regards to Sony. And it was in regards to um, digital games, of course. And you remember on certain uh, physical stores, so they were talking US, so they were talking Best Buy, GameStop, 
Walmart and stuff like that, that you can buy a card with a digital code for a game on a platform, right? Right. And we uh, have that up here too for Nintendo, for Microsoft. But you'll notice there's nothing really for Sony there. And that's because a few years ago, they stopped allowing uh, these companies to sell those games on cards and stuff like that, sounds like. And so people are suing, saying Sony has a monopoly on selling these games on their online store. And they have to go through them. They're being a gatekeeper of monopoly. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because the other thing is there are just so many games on these stores now. And maybe they're just talking about the first party stuff, right? That Mm. could be it. Well, there is this increased trend of being able to sell software through codes in store. And it's meant... It's meant to be of help to people who don't have anything like a credit card. Like a Panoptic card. I've heard that concept before. It's to help people who don't have credit cards or don't want to use credit cards to make their purchases for whatever reason. So, And I think that's probably some of where that's coming from too. But it's like I forgot all about that. And then it hit me uh, and I'm thinking the last time I was in a store, right? which is mm-hmm. a long time ago, unfortunately. But I, well, I, yeah, thought yeah, yeah. To, I thought back to it in that section of the store, and I'm like, you're right. There wasn't many Sony cards there selling certain games. It was only Nintendo and Microsoft or Steam. And so it's like, yeah, I could see where they're coming from. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But I think they'll be in for the longer haul. I don't think they're going to be doing well, the snap of the get. fingers like they did yeah. with best you can the get PlayStation just... 3 or Vita store. Best you can get is just cards for PlayStation Store itself, you know, 25, 50s, hundreds. That's it. Or, just like PS, any other, but, or PS Plus, which yeah. is their subscription. It's nice, I guess, but it's not really specific. And I general. think that's where they're going to do their argument. They're going to say, well, we're giving you the ability to buy money or credit for our store, which you can then use to buy them in this in our environment and stuff like that. So that'll be their argument. It'll be interesting to see how that washes. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, I fully admit I've in the past bought like over the last year, I bought $200 worth of PlayStation cards for 10% off. Right. So basically 180. That's how that's how that's how I bought I bought my Yakuza games really, and that's what a lot of us do. Those cards, the reason people get them is some of the stores will do this is an amount off and stuff. And I've done that with Nintendo. Like this week at Metro, they had ten dollars off the fifty dollar cards for the Nintendo eShop, and it was part of this Mother's Day promotion. Oh, cool! If you find out anything, they had Nintendo and they had another store, but I don't know how Nintendo got in there for a Mother's Day gift card. Well, because, well, Mother's Day's tomorrow and nothing says, I love you, mom, than an Animal Crossing skin. So, if if you know something about PlayStation, let me know. Might help me out just later on. Well, the only one was the one I told you that one, um, I forget what website, but it was the one and they were selling. The American PS Plus subscription yeah, year code, CD keys and that was like the that? thing, is that for money, if you're buying it for like the eShop or Microsoft or Sony, you can't use American credit on the Canadian store, obviously. But 
That happens all or the time. Or the games and the subscription to PS Plus because you've already paid for it, right? We share the same codes and stuff like that, so that's why we can use the American one, which is kind of nifty sometimes because sometimes you can find a deal somewhere because that one I talked about, PS Plus, we were paying, and it was for Canadian dollars, $35 for subscription, and that's really good considering they bumped it up to about $70 uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And so they have codes for both stores. Yeah, yeah. and the best... Uh, we ever did was the one Boxing Day sale where it was $30. So that's the lowest a lot of people have ever paid. So it's not too far off. Buy one or buy a stock up on a couple cards. You're good for a couple years. But uh, the last thing to say uh, on the Epic uh, and Apple lawsuit, which is probably going to change the industry forever, these two glass going at each other, like this will be something that will affect people in the video game space for a long time. As we said, uh, some story. Uh, holders and uh, platform holders uh, have been unhappy like Sony and that because some things haven't been blocked down and people have been caught off guard but uh, Nintendo their lawyers are always on uh, the hunt as we know and uh, they made sure their stuff was blacked out but on Twitter I saw they were trending because one thing they didn't black out in their uh, contract document between themselves and a third party uh, game or content provider or something like that between them in Japan Basically, what, a publisher. Publisher. Could be anything, actually. They didn't ex- specify the contract, but I was in Japanese, and it was uh, I'd probably for maybe for Japan only, but who knows? It could have been global as well. Mm-hmm. Was who they will not deal with. And one of the things was they didn't say Yakuza specifically, but they made it in the Japanese tone, saying that if you were associated with the Yakuza or any of those type of people, you will not... Uh, be null and void for the contract so everyone i think on the internet and twitter went crazy for that i heard and <laughs> we're publishing uh for example images of when uh, yakuza 1 and 2 were on the wii u and they said how did that get through there they said how would this apply to the yamauchi family of old since they were in the hanafuda cards and we know that uh, those were used in uh, the gambling deads of old in the late 19th century early 20th century so twitter had fun there but I guess it uh, rings into what we might talk quickly about next is your love of Yakuza the series. Well, I guess that's I heard back, there was a big announcement. Second, I know that uh, Apple also liked to point out the type of material and the type of games that are known to be inside the Epic Store, and there's probably a little bit more mature content than they that they would prefer to have. I mean, Apple themselves would prefer to have. They've always had an aversion to adult material. They've definitely been the uh, most uh, biggest gatekeeper of that compared to other stores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Just... there have been different crazy things. Like they had Tim Sweeney pointing at consoles to identify them. And it was just, some of it was just bonkers. It's like some of them you were thinking, is anyone awake in that courtroom? No, it puts me to sleep sometimes. Well, I'm sure Adam would have some good asleep. insight and stuff like that. He probably, he, even though he's a professional, I'm sure himself, he'd probably fall asleep if he heard some of the questions in there. <laughs> it's it's very dense reading, and legalese is just boring sometimes. Well, I, I some mean, of the stuff that comes people, through is still fine. Uh, I mean, Adam's a lawyer. I, I mean, I could never be a lawyer because of how What's the word? Dense, dense. I've used the word. I'm not totally sure that's the right word to describe legalese, legal speak. 
but you definitely have to go through the weeds and stuff like that, especially when you're dealing with the law, because it can go from how something is defined could change how it is determined to exist in the in the eyes of the law. You know what I mean? Compared to how a mundane person might interpret it. Mm-hmm. It's it's the wording for me. So obscure, not really obscure, but it's just yeah, weeds. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. Yakuza. So there was some talk on Yakuza because they rele- they announced officially the sequel to Judgment. Last Judgment comes out sometime in September, I heard. Uh, it's Lost uh, Judgment is the name. A lost Judgment. And then... Uh, I said last, didn't I? Yeah. Lost yeah, you... Judgment. Let's, let's say that one more time. Lost Judgment. <laughs> okay. And that, but uh, am I right on the release date in September? Yes, correct. Okay, it's going to at be least coming at the end of September, and it's going to be coming out. It sounds like for PlayStation Five, PlayStation Four, Xbox uh, Series X, and Xbox uh, One. It sounds like so. It looks like they're going across all the platforms, and it's September twenty fourth specifically for a worldwide release, which is oh. a big thing for Sega because they were hoping to do that in the future with releases, but. For a Yakuza spinoff, that's an incredible thing to hear, considering how far it's come for Yakuza. Because just getting a release worldwide would have been thought of as unthinkable a decade ago, almost. Well, it's it's. I find it an interesting announcement that they want they'll release it simultaneously in all regions, all possible regions, I guess, because of the known complications in the past of translating. A Yakuza game. But I think with them acquiring Atlas, as I told you, having that team, they were able to improve and make it that they could find that audience and build the audience for Yakuza. And having it start with Yakuza 0 was probably the perfect uh, crossroads for them and stuff like that to get fans in and stuff like that. And now the demand's there, and this is... And that could release all the other games and stuff like that, whether it be through remasters or remake, mm-hmm. which they've yeah. already done on PlayStation I mean, before. this is sort of the... Like, there's a lot of give and take in knowing that there'll be a simultaneous release, because if you're hoping for any of those samurai-based Yakuza spinoff games, well, the crew... The, the staff is probably more likely to be working on the next installment of the main Yakuza series or the Judgment series as opposed to localizing and remastering or whatever it is, the two samurai spinoff games. Uh, yeah, being in the hands of uh, the Atlas folks definitely helped them out. And the other thing uh, in regards to this is when they did announce it this week, it wasn't just like, okay, here's the trailers and Javi's like, it was fully dubbed trailer and everything. So it's like you have this worldwide marketing machine behind it from the start, which is kind of incredible because remember, it used to be Mike for us, you'd have the Japanese release and then it'd be a year or even later just to get that release until we got that localized marketing out even too. Mm-hmm. That's why, as I said, that's why this announcement has my attention. I'm not going to say it hasn't happened before. Simultaneous worldwide release. It's just... 
I, I, I'm thinking that's a more that's a more regular thing anyway these days. I don't keep up with video games nearly as much, but remember we've had this long discussion already about the Yakuza games and how long it takes for them for to translate a game. I mean, we just said it a couple seconds ago, taking the taking the Japanese version and then properly translating and localizing it for at least English consumption for sure. I feel but, like it helps Atlas that they have those professionals and that they're part of a big corporation. So they'll get that material like sooner and stuff like that. I think so that's that a definitely helps. And some Atlas games, they were able to do that because they were producing it themselves. But sometimes they have a licensed game. So you're waiting on the licensor to get you those materials and stuff like that. So it helps when you're there from day one and then everyone works together across the globe to get it done. And that's probably a lot of what happened here. And that probably helped and, uh, the last Yakuza game, uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, even though it didn't come to PS5, it's going to come soon. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. You mentioned it, Mike. They were talking about it. It was uh, the main guy bet- behind uh, Yakuza, Toshihiro uh, Nagoshi. Nagoshi, yeah. Yeah, Nagoshi-san. Confirming uh, that there was a split, and I hadn't heard about it, but it sounded like going forward for Yakuza, they're going to do it similar to Yakuza Like a Dragon, where it might be more turn-based role-playing, whereas the Judgment series is going to be more street brawling and real-time action, they say. Yeah, and I know fandom is... There's mixed reaction to that. There's a mixed reaction to that. But keep in mind, the yeah, Like a Dragon is begins a new arc for for the Yakuza series. That's sort of worth noting, right? There's a new main character who's, I admit, uh, you'll have to... I haven't gotten to the game yet, so... I admit I I don't uh, remember his name right now. But I think his name is Ichiban. Somebody correct me on that. But with with the new focus on Ichiban, there's a new... There's a new story. It's Ichiban's story. It's not Kiryu's story anymore. It's not my. It's not, and it never really was Majima's story. He was heavily involved, and yeah, there's a there's an arc within for him, but he's not the he's not the main protagonist either. The new protagonist is is Ichiban, and yeah. I think they want to keep and. This pl- and Ichiban has been introduced with an RPG playstyle. So we got used to telling the first part of his story in this in this format. And perhaps there's a logic in saying that his story should continue to be told in turn-based format. I, I mean, as I said, people are are mixed on that feeling because yeah, the brawling style I've grown to like. I have not played like a dragon yet. I'm I, I I'm still waiting to start Kiwami too. So it'll be a little while. Uh, and although some of the jokes uh, on the internet are, if you are so unhappy about that, then what did you think of uh, Yakuza Three? Remember the remember the apparently there's a dip in quality after the two Kiwami games, because it's just a remaster of the original, of the original versions. 
mm-hmm. of three, yeah, four, and five. Yeah, and they did that as kind of a collection for three, four, and five. And just to have, and once again, back to our original discussion, to make sure uh, those games are playable in posterity for the current gen systems, and that they're yep. not lo- they're not possibly lost to lost to obsolescence in something like a PlayStation 3 store closing. Yeah, like they all were PlayStation exclusive, but some of them, as we said, have moved on to other platforms mm-hmm. like the Xbox. But the move, as so I said, it's the great move... to see more fans are trying yeah. to be found. As I said, there is sometimes the re- that's the that's your method of archiving, I think. Just just make just uh just the remaster to make sure it's kind of, just to ensure compatibility with current with current formats. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there was one thing just to mention before we leave. The other funny thing about uh, the Judgment uh, Lost announcement is that they went with the English title that they because remember the first spinoff was called Judgment, and now even in Japan it's going to be Judgment Lost and stuff like that. Because remember the original game in Japan was called like Judge Eyes or something to that effect. So it was a different title. So definitely with this worldwide release, they're stepping up and saying what's going to work across the globe. So it's interesting that they went Mm -hmm. that route. And once again, once again, the protagonist of the, of the judgment series is, is Yagami. And Yagami has been introduced in a partly action, partly stealth format. His game played out a little, his game is the gameplay to judgment is a little bit different from the original, from the mania. Let me backtrack for a second and say a little different from the from the Kiryu era Yakuza games. Well, it's not an all out, it's not an all out brawler. There's a degree of stealth I think involved with that. If memory serves me correct, or if I get the feeling I'll be corrected, who knows? But but it does play slightly different, and they want to be consistent with that with that gameplay as they continue. Mm-hmm. To tell Yagami's story, so I think uh, so. Personally, I like the brawling style, but I'm not. I'm. I can't judge how I, how I'd feel about the turn-based style until I get to it. But for the sheer way they want to tell the story and keeping the play formats consistent, consistent uh, specifically to each protagonist. And now the Yakuza series has three main protagonists mm-hmm. over its history in Kiryu, Ichiban, and and Yagami. I think they want to keep it specific in that sense. There is an irony, though, because both uh, Like a Dragon and then Lost Judgment coming up, both the sayings for both of them are in Yokohama. So I'm sure they shared some assets. But if you want to brawl in uh, Yokohama, you can play Lost Judgment. If you want a little more See, RPG the... action, you can go to Like a Dragon. <laughs> See, the thing is, this is this is the other side of the argument. Those who aren't really upset about it, th- those players said they're in it strictly for the story. And it's a good story. They're very, yeah, no, they're very engaging stories. Whether it's the main story or the side missions, because sometimes you need the side missions or or you'll get really depressed (laughs) playing the main story, won't you? I think they said they were beefing that up for Judgment for the sequel, Lost Judgment, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, because some stuff they didn't really have in that first game and stuff like that, but they decided... 
it'd make uh, him a little more goofy for the main character. Well, yeah, like that. And, I think kind of like the karaoke segments and stuff like that. And to be fair, maybe that's how that's part of the compensation for taking out the all-out brawling style away from the main series. Put some of those elements into Judgment because that that's the part of the series that will remain part of the universe that'll remain. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure many Yakuza fans will be looking forward to Lost Judgment. Sorry. <laughs> and as for myself, I'll just wait for the sale. Digitally. I know, Kevin. I know. Okay, moving on. As I said, uh, we're talking headlines that uh, just fell through the cracks. Oh, by the way, is there an over-under? One last thing on Yakuza. Um, is there an over-under on the next Like a Dragon Ichiban game? Do we have mm-hmm. a sense as to when the next one will come out? I know it's too early, but... Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's definitely too early since they're already in full focus on the spinoff and stuff like that. Even with it being so close. like, And that was the crazy thing, too, is they just kind of... Well, there was a bit of a leak, but after that, they came out the next day this week. And it's just kind of announced that, oh, hey, guys, it's happening on end of September. And they gave the exact date, which you're just like, wait, it's happening now. It's almost Nintendo like where it's like, here it is, guys. We're not going to wait for a year or whatever. It's just going to be a few months away, which is just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Is some people plan their releases, right? But that yeah, it feels well, like, I guess, in this, the case, fingers. in this case, let's just wait for Lost Judgment. I have to pause every time I say lost judgment because I have to be absolutely sure I'm saying it right. Okay. So as we're taping this, there are two noteworthy anime Kickstarters, and I know you've been keeping up with them more than I have, James. Correct. And so there's one that's ending tonight, and so it'll already be done by the time you guys hear us, but I think we've mentioned it in passing before, and that was the girl from the other side. Kickstarter that was from Wit Studio and they want to do a feature animation on that. And looking at it now, it's uh, very successful. So they wanted um, 3 million yen. And now at time of what I'm looking at now, they're over 20 million uh, yen. So they're 20,215,633 yen. And so that means they've actually hit all the co- the stretch goals they had announced uh, a few weeks ago, which was they went over 13 million yen, they went over 16 million yen, and they went over 20 million yen. So that's uh, nice for them. And the uh, girl from the other side, I think you said you had uh, watched it. You might have watched it before too, Mike. I on, saw the short that one virtual event because they were originally done as shorts by Studio Wit, and it had been premiered here in North America at. Uh, the Fantasia Festival in Montreal. And I saw it at the JFF Plus. And it, doesn't, it, it lacks plot to me, but it's a very art housey, very visually... It's a visual feast. It was fun yeah, to watch. Yeah, like even the mall. I, I, I don't have... I, I, I have nothing but really bad to say about it. So... I like I, the Grimm's fairy tale sort of art style, stuff like that. It isn't what you typically think of when you read a manga, and it's coming out from Seven Seas as a manga now, and it's been enjoyable reading it. And supposedly it's just uh, finishing up its run in Japan, so probably Seven Seas will finish it up uh, next year with the final 
volume. I think they have one more coming out this year. I forget how many volumes it's about. I'd say 11 or 12 volumes, I guess, uh, once it's finished. Okay. But uh, with this Kickstarter studio, with hoping uh, they're going to do the feature length, they're going to do better visual quality and go over it more to make it more to the style of the manga. So now even the anime is probably going to be very different from what we think of as an anime, right? And we were Mm -hmm. talking that before, even in Netflix, when we said you had foreign influence. Well, this is from a Japanese, uh, from the manga creator all the way to the staff and all that stuff. And they're looking at it differently, too, and stuff like that. Should be a worthwhile project for those who buy into it. Yeah, but looking at it, it, it probably will be incredible. And they said hopefully they're hoping to deliver it by 2022 next year. But as we know with Kickstarters, uh, these things can take time uh, to get done. And so delays are probably inevitable. And then it'll be interesting to see how they ship it all out uh, to everyone since uh, they're doing it from Japan, of course. Well, it sort of reminds me of the uh, Kimiko Orange Road one. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, they're still waiting on some other Kickstarters for them at uh, Digital Manga, so there's still uh, people still waiting for something from them. Luckily, uh, the core uh, people got what they needed. So. Mm-hmm. How many years later? Animigo. Maddox. Yeah, we had mentioned that because we hadn't uh, seen when it was going to launch, but uh, once... They got all those uh, Megazone 23 uh, Kickstarter orders and Slacker batter, Backer orders uh, done because they pretty much shipped them all out. And even I've received my Megazone 23 uh, Kickstarter uh, reward, which was uh, the series premium uh, box. They announced, uh, I guess, a week or two ago uh, that they were going to launch uh, the new one, Metal uh, Skin Panic Maddox 01. And they launched it uh, last week. So they launched it on the uh, Friday, April 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it was supposed to be uh, $50,000 U.S. goal. And they smashed through that, as we said, in 23 minutes. Less than an hour. Barely half an hour. Yeah, no, I think uh, Robert Woodhead had jokes about that. And he said, yeah, it's like I should have figured that we'd smash through it, especially since... It's not just people from the U.S. It's people from around the world, except for Japan, are allowed to pledge for this because that uh, Megazone 23, the reason I had to do Slacker Backer is for the whole Kickstarter was U.S. only. Mm-hmm. Because that one, they were waiting on license uh, approval for other regions. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. one, they had everything uh, in order. This one is a special one to Anime Eagle because this was their very first release for Robert Woodhead, and as well, they weren't sure they were going to be able to do this one HD, but uh, Robert Woodhead uh, was able to, uh, through different uh, people, figure out that uh, the original print was still out there. It was at Tokyo uh, Ginzo Show, sitting uh, somewhere in the uh, lab, filed, and they were able to say, can you go to there and check it? And they said, this is Maddox. And so they were able to get it uh, from there so that they could do it uh, in HD for a Blu-ray or else it just would not have been possible. Yeah, I see it. And it was funny, too, because you had that. And then when they were there and they were discussing and they found it, they also said, oh, right beside it is Project Echo. And as we had heard about <laughs> uh, Discotech, they actually had a good Crunchyroll article this week talking about them finding it, too. And how uh, Robert Woodhead was involved. 
And once he said he was allowed, he let uh, them at Discotech know, you know, don't worry, you don't have to worry about doing the doomsday device and all this other stuff. It's right here. And then they said, okay, they went, asked them, and they confirmed that was where Echo was, and they were able to actually do a proper uh, look and remaster for the Blu-ray, which is great on that end, too, that they found something else and was able to help out uh, another company and stuff like that, because them storing the stuff, people lose track of where all these old films were and all these old series. Well, right? And they found them in time. Remember, we talk about preservation earlier. Because some film has a habit of degrading to the point it's unwatchable. So there's a degree of restoration needed there for archiving and posterity purposes. Yeah. And so, so uh, they uh, basically found that all out and helped them out on that one. It was funny, too, because in that article, they talked about it. And there's a link between Maddox and Project Echo for Robert Woodhead because he was in the room trying to pick Anime Ego's first license they were going to release. And I guess it was probably on Laserdisc and VHS way back in 1990 or whatever. And so supposedly he said he could only pick one because I guess of money or whatever. And the choice was Maddox 01 and Project Echo. And he said when he looked at both of them, he thought Maddox 01 was the better bet and stuff like that. He didn't think that Project Echo was mainstream enough. And then he jokes, that was the first of many mistakes. mistakes. Yeah, I was about to <laughs> say green for Echo. Uh, right, because basically the other helped start, it was a key part in CPM's cog back then, right? Yeah, and then when Discotech released it on DVD uh, again and picked it up in 2010, 2011, it was a good seller for them. That's why obviously they have high hopes for this and we're going to give it the full kitchen sink treatment to restore even before they found the original uh, film in that. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, uh, so uh, at the somehow, don't cry too much for Robert Woodhead. He's managed. Yeah, no, he he's very good humored throughout the Kickstarter talking about, and even in you look at the little booklets and stuff about how he's just the guy who makes mistakes and all this other stuff. And that basically his mother and then his wife uh, basically are, you have the Eastern Goss and the Western Goss and stuff like that. They're the exclusive producers, not him. <laughs> well, they so better be. Yeah. And maybe the goddesses of mercy in, in many respects or of yeah, patience. But, but at the moment for uh, the Kickstarter for um, Maddox 01, at present it has 21 uh, days to go. So you still have uh, probably till the end of the month. It says last time uh, to uh, give uh, donations for the Kickstarter is Sunday, May 30th, around 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So till basically about the end of the month. And at present, they have 141605 uh, dollars U.S. above the $50,000 uh, goal. So they've hit a few uh, stretch goal points because that's how they're doing stretch goals this time. They were doing in $25,000 increments. Sorry, yeah, $25,000 increments. So they've hit three stretch goal points. They're probably going to hit a fourth one. And what he was doing is at the end of the Kickstarter, he's going to do a vote with the uh, backers. And then that's how we'll determine uh, which stretch goals get uh, picked. And so some have one point, like the new commentary and the new packaging. Uh, and then the other thing is two points. So that'd be 50,000 would be a digital restoration pass. And then obviously another one is 
a Maddox Redux where there were some scenes that director um, Arakami basically looked at and said, those didn't do well or those were a mistake. So he's going to go back and fix some mistakes and redo them. And they're actually going to show how they fix those mistakes. So that's a 50,000 one. And then the last one they had, which was a free pointer, a $75,000 stretch goal, if it was void for, was a new trailer. So director Aramaki was going to go and make a new 90-second Maddox 1 trailer with new original music and sound effects. Now, that one, so far in the straw polls they've done, has been at the back of the pack. Everyone seems to want to do Digital Restoration Pass, Maddox Redux, and then the next one is the 1.1s with the new commentary and the new packaging. Yeah, well, some things are more important than others. Okay, we'll keep up with both. And see, and let us know if anything else comes out anime-wise, I suppose. Okay, how much time we got here? So we're I don't think we have much in. time, do we? Because no, we said no, we were going to do 30 minutes and we're probably going to double that the way we're going. We're, we're, we're going to get over an hour, almost certainly. And, you know, and of course I want to watch, like, I want to watch the end of the uh, Overwatch May Melee Tournament too. That's uh, started as we've, as we've continued speaking. Okay. We got a couple minutes left anyway. Uh, we're going to go as long as we need to. So How are we going to talk about uh, anime, I guess, for uh, stuff we're real? actually watching? Well, we can talk about stuff we've actually watched. I know you, you said, I, I know on your li- recent I watching list was Megazone. You, you got through the Megazone 2-3 Kickstarters? Yeah, I actually got through that. And uh, it was fun watching all of them on uh, HD and stuff like that. So I got the preview one, which had the art book and had some great stuff in there. And then uh, we had the two discs, uh, and it included the first film, the second film, and then the um, third film, which is in two parts. And uh, I feel like I watched it probably so long ago and I might have rented it from Comic Den. That's probably I never actually bought it when ADV did their release back in the early aughts. But they have the ADV dub on there of all parts. And that was the first time it was dubbed all the way through. And they had um, the Steam line pictures of part one and part two, which was uh, nice to see. I didn't watch that. I just watched the Japanese version, which was great going through. And I also watched the ADV uh, films uh, commentary on the first uh, movie with uh, Matt Greenfield, who did direction for all of it, uh, and also Janice Williams and uh, David Williams, I believe, uh, were on there as well. And they had some interesting discussion. It was like the um, Gunsmith Cats commentary that <laughs> David Williams and Matt Greenfield did, which was on uh, the other Kickstarter Anime Ego did for that one that they got from their uh, DVD release as well, where they were talking about old fandom, even older than maybe some of us. And it was just kind of interesting looking back in time because for Megazone 2-3, they were fans of the show. And as Matt Greenfield said, they ordered this, the first film, from Japan from a Laserdisc. And they were talking about how, yes, Laserdisc players were expensive, but the reason they did a Laserdisc for these fans is that it was more expensive to get a VHS out of Japan than it was a Laserdisc. And so that's Mm -hmm. what they brought over. And these were totally in Japanese, but they said, well... It was fairly simple and easy to do certain things to go and watch these. So you didn't need someone sitting out with a paper to explain things. They 
I think, said that Crusher Joe was a problematic one where they'd have something that someone would have to stop a tape and then explain what happened before they could continue on. And I'm sure many fans could never understand how exactly that occurred back in the day, right? Even I could probably never understand that fully. I'd have to hear that commentary in full just to grasp myself. And then the other thing was just that the animation, like it definitely changes between all the movies. So the first two films are connected. The last one, the third one, and actually Arakami is the one that was involved in that one too, funny enough. Um, the third one was kind of like new generation, so to speak, of Megazone 2, 3. So mm-hmm. it, you kind of expect a different change in animation, but it's so jarring between the first two movies that the animation He's... is so different, but they're the exact same characters and stuff like that. So it's they... interesting, but the voice actors stay the same on the English and Japanese. And okay. even Matt Greenfield said that was a challenge, right? Finding people that look believable when it, the change is that drastic. Yeah, I was about to say, didn't they use the character designer for Kite in the second one? Did they? I can't remember. Maybe that. Maybe that. That could be. A I know that. I, I know because because exactly. I know there was a punchline that Daryl Surratt made concern always likes to make concerning Kite all the time with that. That's a long running joke too with him. Okay. Anirama, the uh, the anime Rama trilogy. Yeah, so that's going like, back we, in. Uh, like we have to, time, like, as they said, right? Yeah, because well, that one. We've heard about them, obviously, right, from the discotheque uh, streams and stuff like that. For Thousand One Nights and Cleopatra, they released them last year, and they've been happy that people have been finding them. And those were the first two anime-rama series uh, films from uh, Mushi Productions, uh, Tezuka, Tezuka's old uh, anime stomping grounds, uh, as we know, that he uh, created and started the uh, way anime is made, as we know. But it's interesting, these films are not what you typically think, because remember, we remember Astro Boy, we remember Kimba, the White Lion, and all those more children's fare, whereas these, they were stretching out, and Tezuka wants something more adult and stuff like that for a broader audience to expand what people think of as animation and more as art. And so Thousand One Nights was the first one, and it has nothing to do with any Tezuka characters and stuff like that. It, they took the Thousand One Nights and they kind of ran with it. The main character is called Aldine, which is kind of their play on Aladdin. And even some tales of Sinbad uh, the Sailor are in there as well. But uh, there are definitely some scenes that are very risque. So uh, it's not something you watch with the kids, but it's definitely art housey to a degree. But it's it's not something you would think of as anime. As you go along the different films, you can see that. Like the second one, Cleopatra. Is very interesting because it's not just animation. The first part, there's some live action sequences and stuff like that before you get into them traveling back in time to see Cleopatra and stuff like that. And the other weird thing is some of uh, Tezuka's characters, his famous characters, somehow show up in ancient Egypt. Now, I'm not sure how historically accurate that is, but hey, he can do what he wants in his own film, right? And there's a bit more sit, uh, sex and stuff like that in there as well. But it's not really true. It's more like this artistic type of license. It's something you feel like in an art gallery where it's the imagery. It's not actually showing the characters and stuff like that. And it's interesting in that one, too, because 
I know Helen McCarthy helped out Discotech. She did a commentary on Thousand One Nights and on Cleopatra, and watching those are great to get an even greater understanding. them. Like she talks mm-hmm. about Cleopatra as well, the famous story from Fred Patton, because when they brought over um, Cleopatra to the States, I think in 73, they called it Cleopatra, Queen of Sex, and they wanted it to be the first, I guess, X-rated uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I guess Fritz the Cat might have beaten them to that by a few weeks, <laughs> they said. But Fred Patton, as she said, when he talked to uh, Tezuka later on, said people were pissed at Cleopatra, Queen of Sex, because they were expecting, I guess, something more pornographic or more sexual, and that wasn't uh, the case of what they got. So they were throwing things at the screen. They were asking the movie theater operators to give them their money back and stuff like that. And I could see why, because, yes, there is stuff in there that's sexual and adult, but it's not like pornographic by any stretch of the imagination. It's be something you'd see maybe in a higher class art gallery. You know what I mean? It was more mm-hmm. interpretive and stuff like that. Well, and it goes even further to the final one that I saw, Belladonna Sadness, which was released by Sinalicious Picks. And this one was the hardest one to find because as I told you, Mike, I had to go to Amazon.com to find this. Mm-hmm. But this one uh, was with directed again by... Uh, Tezuka's uh, cohort, of course, he uh, helped directing uh, in all of them, which was Eiji uh, Yamamoto. And this one, he decided to get uh, artist uh, Kuni uh, Fukai involved. And so this one, Belladonna of Sadness, it, I, it's really hard to describe it as an anime because if you looked at the animation, nothing's moving in terms of mouth flaps or anything like that. It's like you're looking, you're going into an art gallery and the art gallery was like a universal films ride. And you were just going through all these different images and stuff like that, that feel like watercolor paintings and stuff like that. And it's just quite a feast for the eyes. It's very, very dark and mature because Belladonna Sadness takes place in medieval Europe and stuff like that the wife of this uh, farmer and stuff like that, they want to get married. They go to the local Lord and the local Lord, basically at the end, they do, they say, we only have one cow. He wanted, I guess, five cows. And then basically the wife of the Lord basically says, oh, there's a way you can get married. And unfortunately it is in response. Her response is your wife is going to have to sleep with my husband. And then anyone else who wants to sleep with her can and hmm. so you can tell that there's a lot of violence and a lot of sexual, like there's a lot of things going on in this medieval setting, but it could definitely upset people and stuff like that in a visual way. They don't show anything directly, but the imagery is definitely there. When I, I, it's like, it's a tough thing to say, but the scene where obviously this Lord probably took advantage of her and stuff like that. All that we see, one of the powerful images that people see that upset them, and I could see where they were upset, but it was visually interesting, was that it's like a painting of her is ripped in half. And then you see, like, the red come from where she's ripped apart, like blood coming out. So there's like a, and so, a metaphor and of so, sorts. So there's a lot of different metaphors, but you can definitely see where people would be upset. But it was... It was very interesting, the ideas. But the other thing is, even through the sadness and stuff like that, 
she then wants to find power. She finds power through the devil, which is so the devil unfortunately is shown in a very phallic way, to say the least. And then as she uh, takes him up on his offers, she grows in power. She wears green, showing her power and stuff like that, and grows to get the confidence of the villagers and stuff like that. And by the end, when she faces the Lord again, and he's like, what do you want? And she's basically, I want everything and stuff like that, where she started from nothing. Hmm. But it's it's a very interesting uh, film and stuff like that. And it was based on uh, Le Sorcier, which was Jules uh, Michon's uh, 1862 uh, history of witchcraft, supposedly. So they went really back in time to a story you would never see or have heard of in Japan. I'm not sure how they found that, but it it's a feast for the eyes. And it's incredible they were able to find it at all because this one, because of how graphic it was, Eiji uh, Yamamoto basically said in his interview on the Blu-ray that it what they tried to do is originally he said, yeah, it's pornographic, but we have to make it into a love story and all this other stuff. And I see how they tried to do it, but they said supposedly one of the taglines for marketing from Nippon Herald, which was the one that did these three films with them, for this one, the last one, Belladonna of Sadness, which was, they meant to just get out before Mushi Productions went bankrupt. Their tagline, which didn't help them because this film, unfortunately, of all the anime Rama series, uh, the first two were successful, this third one wasn't. But one of the marketing titles, he couldn't say anything, but he said he wasn't happy with was that Nippon Herald said, from Astro Boy to Belladonna. And he's like, what is that? That means nothing. And he said that would piss off a lot of people. Like if they were thinking Astro Boy and they came to see Belladonna, he's like, they're just going to be so pissed and or not understand well, it's, at all it's, because it's, it's so mature. Yeah, it's the most mature of everything. They're completely different. They're completely different. Yeah. Right? And it's weird well, because even though it was a failure, he said the interesting part was of the audience, most of the audience, he said, in Japan for that theater run that was small or in certain theaters was mostly female, which was interesting. And they weren't able to sell it really outside of Japan since uh, Mushi Productions uh, went bankrupt. But people heard of it through word of mouth and they had shown it at two film festivals uh, in uh, Europe and stuff like that, one in Berlin and another one in Belgium. And that's where they got the full print of it because they yeah, had lost that's... that original print, the more extreme print that we're watching of Belladonna of Sadness, because they went and recut it thinking they could get a better audience if they cut out some of the sex and some of the violence. Hmm. I mean... Uh... Remember parts of the parts of the story. There's another part to the story also mentioned in Pure Invention as well. So, yeah, it's okay. interesting thinking about it, right how you go yeah. from one end yeah. in the God of Manga, it's like family friendly and all this, and how he definitely evolved and he was in this definitely Gekiga or more experimental phase, and how experimental is the is more the word certainly I'd use, and. I admit I probably won't get around to watching them myself because I don't have them. Can I borrow them sometime? <laughs> it was funny because Belladonna's sadness, it made me think back to what we talked about Netflix and about them going out with different creators, not just from Japan, but everywhere around the world and anime inspired. And if you didn't 
see the crew and all this and we're just watching the images, you wouldn't even think it's anime or anime inspired or whatever. It was just animation and paintings and stuff like that. And it was like going, as I said, like a, a thrill ride at Universal, except through a high end uh, art gallery. And it's nothing you'll ever experience ever before or since. Interesting way to put it. But anyway, thanks for telling us about a little bit more about uh, your experience watching those and your thoughts. I don't have much to add, really, uh, in terms of what I've watched. I, I mean, I spent my week watching all six episodes of Yasuke. And I'm not going to go too long because we've gone too long already. Did you watch uh, Dubber Sub? Sorry to ask. No, I, I, I only watched one episode in Japanese. That's worth mentioning, I guess, right away. I only watched the second episode, and then I realized English was its original language. The thing is, it's worth noting that the the subtitling for the in Japanese, if you want to watch it in Japanese, the subtitling was an actual closed caption. It was a full close, literal closed caption, word for word transcript of the English audio. So that you don't get the new, the little nuances, or at least an attempt at the nuances that might have came out in the Japanese version. And maybe that'll upset a lot of people. And I think that's part of the mixed reviews. I think fandom is probably giving Yasuke. For my part, I enjoyed it. And I'd like to save that conversation for a little bit later on. You don't mind that, James, do you? Yeah, that's like when we have the others. It's similar to right with Evangelion and a few other ones where they're trying to get out all these subtitles and all these voices for all these different languages, right? Because they like it to be all in one. And sometimes it doesn't always work out. In Evangelion's case, even though it's an older series, uh, people were definitely not happy with how the Italian dub uh, turned out and they had to go back and redo it. And I think even the subs were It's it's something else. For me, it's something else altogether. It's not, I don't think that, like, I can't judge, obviously, the Japanese language version, the, the Japanese dub. If only because I don't know what was said. I don't know the trailer. I think uh, more of the subtitles than that, since you said it sounded like it might have been more closed caption, not as nuanced and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's just, as I said, it's just a closed caption. It's, it's, the script, it's the English script. It's the entire English script, word for word. So as I said, there isn't, a, there isn't any... The, trans, the translation from Japanese to... If you're watching in Japanese language to English, it wouldn't... It's even less it's even less accurate i suppose because they're not trying to translate the the english subtitles doesn't try to give a translation of the actual japanese of the japanese dialogue right mm-hmm. it's strictly a, a script word for word of the english script but my guess is since this was a global release this was netflix that would be the same across the world for all languages and stuff like that, since they're letting everyone access everything they've produced on it. So I don't think even if you went to a different region, it might change. They might have another track or something. Well, as I said, I can't, I wish I could speak for other, like my impressions of other languages to say for sure. And unfortunately for myself, I I can only speak English myself. What can you do? And I know that debate will continue. And remember what I said last episode, it's the first it's the first real salvo in the Netflix 
influenced anime era, so to speak. Yeah, right? I think it's definitely their and first uh, big one, and I think it'll be uh, more to come, as they say. And they've definitely done a bigger production for that compared to what Netflix has done. Sorry, not Netflix. I meant to say Crunchyroll, what Crunchyroll has done with theirs and Crunchyroll Originals, because supposedly, as we've talked about before, they haven't done as well as they had hoped, I guess. But you never know, maybe over time, or even if they do merge with Sony, it'll get better, But or Funimation, I mean. But time will tell on that end, and then even the time will tell on the Netflix end, because as we remember with videotapes and that, how the OVA was born, and they could do shorter stories. I think with streaming, the same thing is going to be happening that will allow creators in Japan, they won't be fixed into either a 12 or 26 or 24 or 11 episode uh, track where they say, I got to get my story done in this amount of time. They'll be able to say, you know what, maybe I can do a more concise and a more effective story in a shorter timeline in those six episodes or even a certain type of episodes if I'm doing it streaming and, and stuff it's worth, like that, and I can change my runtime too, right? Right, so. and it's worth noting that the last episode was, I think, 10 minutes longer than the other episodes. So they, they did play with uh, episode lengths. And we've had this conversation before. It's the thing about presenting on digital platforms. Because you're not, no constriction, you're right. No constriction. I think it's kind of like the media. HBO effect, I like to say. You know what I mean? Because remember... HBO did that even when they were on TV and stuff like that, that they're like, okay, you guys are the creators. And they weren't always an hour long or 45 minutes long or whatever. Sometimes they were shorter. Sometimes they were longer. And more people saw that with Game of Thrones, for example, because that was one of the most popular ones ever. And they started to realize that, that it doesn't have to be a set time every week or a certain number of episodes per season. It's whatever the creative story and forces dictate sometimes. Yeah, and I guess it, because HBO knows how to fill it fill it in properly. There's no real obligation. And they didn't have to worry about commercials and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and so does streaming. They don't mm -hmm. have to worry too much about commercials either on some of them. And even if they do need ads, they can just plunk it wherever they want. Sometimes it isn't always where you want it, but they can. Yeah, it, it, no, it's a nuance. It, it, it's an interesting point you bring up HBO, actually, and how do you bring it up? It's, yeah, it's food for thought. But I th I know we'll talk more Yasuke in the future. Um, as I said, I, I would recommend it, personally. I, I personally liked it. But I can see where a lot of the detraction will come in as well. Where the criticisms are going to come in. And I'll be curious to watch the debate as that unfolds. I can tell you this much, though, and this much I'm fairly certain of. We'll see another season of it. Okay, so before we go this evening, yes, these we are here this evening to talk about some things that kind of fell through the cracks over the last couple weeks, things we never really talked about in the regular episodes. And even then, we're there's things that we still won't be able to talk about this evening. We'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the passing of Osamu Kobayashi, the director of Naruto Shippuden, among other things. And looking at director his... Director as well. Looking at his resume and his list of, uh, list of works and things he's been in, he was involved in, 
there was there's a lot that he did a, a pretty impressive resume i have to say and it's a shame that we lost him at the age of i think 57 to kidney cancer and he kind of wrote his own goodbye on his twitter and uh they had a nice thing where you could write some words of uh, condolence and stuff like that on one of the sites and i believe they were then going to take those and i'm not sure it looked like they were doing some sort of wall or whatever where people were writing different messages and stuff like that and they were adding i guess different english and probably some other language messages to that if you went through that one site which was interesting i know anime news network had it up for a few days after that so i'm not sure if that's still open but that was a nice tribute as well to mm-hmm. reach out to everyone across the globe right and just like everything else we'll try and put a link to everything we talked about in the last hour or so the other thing we'd be remiss to if we didn't at least acknowledge here in canada bill c10 it's an internet bill what can we say about it in 30 seconds just a quick overview i don't think there's any way you could overview that in 30 seconds i'm sure uh jesse has a few things he'll probably be saying about that on his uh, podcast as well and yeah, I'm sure I'm, maybe I'm we'll think about it. Maybe uh, the next regular episode, we might have some food for thought on that. Maybe. Yeah, it, it, it's an internet bill, but uh, there's some provisions in it that could also control, give CR, the CRTC control over user uploaded content, i.e., stuff that people would put on YouTube or in their streaming platforms or what have you, and make content that was made by re- by regulars here by just average people like us subject to on paper crtc regulations and there's a promise that no it won't happen it's just meant to go at the big fish in the, in that space but i don't think national like we've seen it even australia going after facebook and all these other things these countries can't control these big tech titans like facebook like youtube and google and all of them it, it's just it's going to be t- i don't know how exactly they there's, think there's like there's it's a it's a clash because we know that we want to preserve what it means to be canadian whatever that means and we've had success in the music business we've had success on tv and stuff like that but in this space i'm not sure exactly how you would do that and stuff like that well my my line was always you know give an inch take a mile Never don't give a dog a bone, whatever metaphor or cliche you want to use. And the but thing is too, right? That many younger people and stuff like that, they are, as they know, the thing they're worried about is they're not watching TV and all this other stuff. They're going online. And so they're experiencing the world. And that means they're experiencing many different things. So it's hard to say what it means to experience Canada in that context, I guess. And maybe and that's, I'm not sure the old ways are going to make it work. Obviously, as we part, said, I guess that, for, I guess that's the part of the ra- yeah, and I guess that's part of the rationale for that provision in the bill. But it could open up a can of worms. Yep, down the future, as we say, as they say, don't worry. Even though we have this wording, we're not going to do anything and blah 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 on certain aspects. But the future can change things, as we know, along with uh, changes give, in the people who are in charge. Right? <laughs> don't give a dog a bone, like I said. Okay, and finally, oh wait, do we still have one more, one or two more things? I want to quickly mention TCAF. Do you want to say something about TCAF just quickly? I know we'll mention it again next week. Yeah, we had uh, TCAF twenty twenty one happening right now, and Broken Pencil is hosting them, and so you have the main TCAF 
page where you can go and actually look at the different creators that are offering physical and digital editions and buy it through them. They said it's going to be a long wait to uh, get it to you for the physical editions of different things because obviously they're a volunteer organization with TCAF and Canzine and Broken Pencil. So they were saying like five to eight weeks, but that's how it goes. I think they even mentioned when I bought the two books I want that were not Amazon. So that's how life goes. The other thing is they had like comics and games there. So that was fun to go to that page and see the different games, see their, uh, maybe they had interviews, maybe they went to their page so that you could play a small demo in that. And the canzine had some different things, looking at some of their different scenes and different artists and stuff like that. They also had the YouTube page for um, TCAF where basically they were doing the panels. Some of them are live, but some of them are being uh, pre-recorded. So the ones me and Kevin mentioned uh, that we're interested in for pre-record is the one on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And that's going to be with uh, Nagata Kabi. And that was the offer between behind um, My Alcoholic Escape from uh, Reality, which just came out. I got my copy uh, just a few days ago. And she did uh, some other ones that Seven Seas has done as well, as we said, like um, My Lesbian uh, Loneliness, I believe. I forget what it was called exactly now. But she's had a few others that Seven Seas released, and they were quite uh, intriguing. So that's at 7 p.m on May 12th on the UT page of uh, TCAF. The other one the next day for Thursday is uh, the creator of Cells at Work. And so they're going to basically be looking at that. And I think that is at 3 p.m. on the May 13th, uh, Thursday. And so they're going to be talking to that creator and then uh, a few different things. I think they said doctor of medicine and a science teacher and looking at the world of cells at work, which will be fun. But the thing about those ones is pre-records. So that means you don't have to be there exactly at those times. They said you can watch them later, but they said in the uh, newsletter uh, festival guide, which is online there, that um, all these uh, things on the YouTube, even the live ones are gonna be there on their YouTube till uh, June, uh, I'm just gonna take a look here. Was it 16th? Yeah, it was June. Uh, you're going to have to edit this. Sorry. Okay. Like it's until June 16th. So, like, like, you know, we haven't really edited the uh, Space Shooter Chat episodes. I just put them up straight. Well, I guess we're going to have old a lot school, of like we there, did but, back then. Yeah. So, uh, Though all the content there on their uh, TCAF YouTube is going to be there till June 16th, that they said. And then after that, it goes into the vault, they said. So at least we have a bit of time uh, to watch it and stuff like that. So I guess about a month, which is okay. nice. Yeah. And I know you'll say more about it. You and Kevin and Jeff will probably say a lot more about it next week. One last thing. Since it's been mentioned in in past episodes just after we finished taping episode 41 last week we noticed the anime lockdown twitter has been confirmed the next anime lockdown convention it will happen it'll happen in july i believe the dates are the 9th to the 11th you can check out the details there they're doing panel submissions now 
What a surprise. JP had, was thinking about it, wasn't totally sure. And it's happening. A week later, as you say, right? But, yeah, no, we, the, or a couple weeks was, later. He, yeah. was, he was thinking about but it was matter does he find the time and will he be able to send the way he wants well, to do and, and he obviously gonna, thought about it. And found he's a way, the bullet. Said, and he also Good luck, said, JP. Uh, in the Discord, he said, we can hang on the Discord, but he says uh, once the con comes in July, he's going to set up a new Discord for us to hang out. And I think some of the comments uh, to that was, are we still going to have a broken elevator, or will the elevator finally be working for the next con? Well, uh, and will there be a wedding going on? That's my question. I'm sure we'll know soon. And, well, there's, as I said, there's there could be a bunch of other things we could talk about, but we've been chatting long enough. So, uh, I think uh, let's end this now. Besides, I, besides, there's an Overwatch game I want to finish up. So that's all we got for this space heater chat if you have any questions or comments and we've gotten a couple we'll acknowledge uh there was something interesting on the on the facebook page in relation to episode 41 i'm gonna send a personal response to that one thanks thanks to whoever wrote it but if you have anything to any comments or questions anything you want to say you can put it in, in on our facebook page or whenever we put up entries on the anime north Facebook pages, official and unofficial, or you can email us, animeroundtable at gmail.com, or leave us a message on Twitter or Instagram, or better yet, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at animeroundtable. And, well, our, our vault and archive is also still around, and it's available for anybody to listen 24-7, www.animeroundtable.com. You can also get the show notes there. But as I said, that's all we got for this time around. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, probably next week, for episode 42. Does anybody have a score on the Overwatch game?